Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bald Move Prestige. We got a movie this week, uh, Les Miserables. The uh, 2012 musical film is directed by Tom Hooper, based on the musical Les Miserables, uh, written by Alain Boubli, I guess, and uh, Claude Michel Schoenberg is based, of course, on the original Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, who also pinned The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, stars Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, Anne Hathaway, Amanda Seyfried, Seyfried Eddie mm-hmm. Redmayne, Helena Bonham Carter, and Sasha Baron Cohen. And uh, this was commissioned by Michelle from Cali, Michelle from California, who is a... Uh, She's always around. She's uh she's she's a long-term participator in our on our Twitch channel, on the forums, a uh, long-time supporter, first-time commissioner. Thank you very much, Michelle. Appreciate the support and I was delighted to see it. I I, I was one of those scared delighted because I know I loved it. Um like I'll, I'll talk about my history with this uh this film. I have seen Les Miserables performed live three different times, uh once in Indiana Indianapolis, twice in Ohio. In Cincinnati. Uh, I've seen this movie. This is the fourth time I've seen it. I saw it live, uh, or I saw it on opening day, or I, I, Christmas Day. I think it opened on Christmas Day, but that's when I saw it back in 2012 with my sister and my wife and my sister's husband. And I've listened to the original Broadway soundtrack recording dozens of times. Uh, I've never read the book, though. I've never read the, the Victor Hugo original. Uh, and I love it. It's like... I, I don't know if it's my favorite musical, but it's certainly, I think, the best. The one that I think has the greatest story and the maximum emotional impact. It always makes me a wreck every single time I fucking watch, um, especially, or even listen to certain tracks. Um, that's my background with this piece. Uh, what do you think, Jim? Uh, I don't I don't have a background with this, and I have very little background with musicals in general. Um, e- even Even less with, like, stage plays. Uh, probably, I think I've seen one musical, the book of Mormon live. Uh, I've seen a few on film. Um, that's a whole ass musical. I mean, that ain't nothing. Oh, sure. No, that's, that's definitely a musical. Uh, can can we get something out of the way here? Every time you're, you're saying the title of this film, it hits my ear wrong, but Mm -hmm. I don't think as Americans we're allowed to say these words. Right, mm-hmm. like the French own these words, and sure, and and these words don't make any sense to American minds, right? Because I don't know, I genuinely don't know how to say the second word of the title of this film, which I will not try to pronounce. <laughs> I think it's Miserables, but it I could can't be, wrong. be Miserables. It can't. Why? I think you're always supposed it? to drop at least one letter from a French word when you say it, right? Les Miserables. I don't know. It doesn't matter which know. letter. You just drop a letter. Just pick a letter. Drop you just have it. to go in front of it and then whatever. It's 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 authentic from there. Seriously, I have no idea how to say the title of this movie. But uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was mostly good. Mostly good. Hmm. Okay, cool. You know, we, cool. we saw Hamilton pretty recently, right? Um, right. The Disney Plus showing of that. Uh, sure. It was kind of, it, which was amazing. Like, I really love Hamilton, um, like everybody else on the planet. And this one, I think you're right, has a better story. Although I would say the music is not as good uh, mm. for for the most part. I think there are a couple of like really, really good like show stopping tunes in this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. But mm. I don't know. I'm of the opinion that in a musical, you can have a little bit of talking. 
you don't need to make every single line. Like, if you're going to make every line a, a sung line, give this me a, a fucking melody. a very strong melody. opinion you have. I would right. like to hear you defend it on this cast. I'm not sure I quite can. Yeah, it's... <laughs> it, 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 Sir, your on. opinion is wrong. You must withdraw. Just, uh, yeah, I, just I, let I, me have <laughs> a couple of lines of spoken dialogue when you have no connective tissue, no melody, yeah. nothing. Uh Th- yeah. That's like my biggest complaint with this movie is they should have just like backed off on the singing a little bit. And to be honest, I actually agree with that. I, I, there are some show stopping tunes and there are some belters and there are some things that are constructed as songs, but then yeah. all the interstitial stuff is, is sung and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't conform to what most people have opinions for songs, you know, like it doesn't necessarily right. have the same pantimeter or whatever the fuck, uh, it doesn't have the same like beats. They don't necessarily rhyme. Um, that worked better in Hamilton because, mm-hmm. you know, um, rap is a little bit more flexible style than like classical musical comp- com- uh, composition. You For can sure. change up the beat and accelerate and stop and and stutter and do things like that, that it feels very stilted and unnatural. Un- yeah, I felt um, like there was less of that in Hamilton. Um like yeah. the connective tissue, it just ran almost one song next into the next. Uh, this though, you know, ha- has a little bit of moments where I'm like, man, they should have just said that. Uh, but the songs that are there, the songs that are like more traditional tunes, are for the most part very good. Like there are a few that are super memorable. Like "Master of the House" is maybe my favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. Of the set pieces and my favorite of the songs. It's the crowd pleaser for sure. But yeah. I, I don't know what the one that uh, Anne Hathaway sings is called. Actually, I don't I know any of the titles of any of these. I Had a yeah. Dream. Uh-huh. I think so. Huh. Okay. Um. So, yeah, that one is probably the best. I dreamed a dream. I, okay. I, I can't tell if it's the best song or if she's just the best singer and performer because, damn, Damn, that she's is really a, good. amazing, amazing moment in this movie. She's really good, and it's it's uh, it's a really early heartbreaker. Um, yeah. But I don't know because I think um, Hugh Jackman is a stage man himself and has a very, very good voice. Yes, um, which is up for almost everything that this film has to offer. And uh, I and I think like at the end, his song where he's. Um, you know, singing, he's, 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 I, I don't know what this is called, but he's essentially calling the Fantine, wanting to go to heaven and all that kind of stuff. I think he does yeah. a really good job there. The Who Am I mm-hmm. uh, song is very good, but I think the, the one that really killed me, the one that like got me started and I couldn't fucking stop was an Eddie Redmayne singing Empty Chairs and Empty Tables mm. after he survived the battle and he's talking, you know, talk, you know, essentially has severe survivor's guilt. Yeah. Because um, he's very good. He's a very, he very good singer. Um, I don't usually give a shit about Marius in these productions. In fact, that's the kind of weakness of like, I don't care a lot about the second act because I don't, uh, this is going to be scandalous. But I don't give a shit about Eponine. I don't give a shit about Cassette. I don't give yeah. a shit about Marius. I'm with I, you. I am super into the student struggle against a corrupt uh, and uncaring uh, government. I am yeah. super into Jean Val Jean's um, sacrifices that he's trying to make for his child to have a better life, mm-hmm. and him running from 
you know, decisions he made as a youth, which I think are easily understand, and like his his duel with Chavert, um, his his battle, lifelong battle to to be worth the sacrifices that were shown to him. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, like a, the the lot of the romance and stuff between Eponine, the the love triangle between Marius, Eponine, and Cosette is not super interesting, especially since I think in this film. I feel like this makes a little bit more sense because the other thing is they they take about 45 minutes out of the musical, I believe, and mm-hmm. they rejiggered the order of some of this music to to make it a little bit flow better as a story. Um, and there's explicit like time jumps and stuff that they built into like, you know, things that you're just kind of don't really make sense from a storytelling standpoint in the play. They they kind of make explicit in this, um, mm-hmm. which which I think is mostly on on uh, good it goes disastrous it goes disastrously wrong when tom hooper tries this shit with cats which we'll probably talk about in a bit oh no but like it's 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 on the the right track um i forget where i was going with all this no I, I I, i'm with you though like and, i i did not feel the love story in this very very intensely um and i don't know why because i i think both of those actors are very good um i was more like the the notes of like loss and and unity and kindness and mercy and uh, mm-hmm. redemption like all of those things are the things that are getting me uh, going in this movie and yeah they get to that that third that final section there and it's like okay I don't really care that much about Cosette yeah and that's that's I, I know that I feel like there's a little bit more to Marius and his grandfather and his relationship to money in the play because in this huh. film you're forgiven for thinking that Marius is just a rich boy who won the play revolution yeah he got away with it and then surviving that he was real sad for like five seconds and then uh, hey you know Amanda Seyfried's really hot and and wholesome and whatnot and his grandfather takes him back and he's right back in the mansion and stuff and that. I feel like is that, that not the story because that's what I got. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying, but it's not a very satisfying one, right? Right, right. You know, like this didn't like this. This is, um, and I think that's part of it is um, this this June Revolution that this dramatizes is something that was very uh, I understand was very um, important to Hugo Hugo Victor. Like he was in the middle of it. Like he ran out. He was running out in the middle of the streets when this stuff was was cooking off in the barricades, and it made a huge hmm. impression on his life. And this is a fairly minor skirmish in, in the history of uh, the extended French Revolution. There's fits and starts with democracy. It's, it's just like a minor thing. And it, the reason the world remembers it is because it's stuck in the mind of Hugo Victor, and he immortalized it in the novel, and then... You know, that mm. that uh, in fact, in fact, I guess a lot of the things that Valjean or Jean Valjean does in the in the play and the, the book are things Hugo himself did in his youth. Like he interceded for a prostitute that was being, you know, harassed by a gentleman. And um, there's a there's a couple other things, I think, that was actually bits from his life. I think especially things that he saw in the barricades and whatnot. Um, but it doesn't it's there's not a there's not like a. You know, the emperor was overthrown and the people rejoiced yeah. and everything was better. This this rebellion was put down violently and uh, it didn't lead to much. So, yeah, I and think there's that's... a moment of hope at, at the end. Right. Like keep keeping the hope alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when he goes to heaven, I guess. Um, uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That like um, I, 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 I don't know that 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 all. But that's what I'm saying. That's the stuff that is the emotional stakes of like the second act. And I just. 
I've never like I, this movie engages with me on a lot of different levels, but that stuff is just it provides more stakes for Jean Valjean, right? For like, sure, yeah, and, and that's the stuff of cassettes that I like the most is their right, you know, uh, father daughter dynamic. Um, yeah, well, where it's like, eh, although I have some questions or problems with that too, but uh, yeah, the, the stuff that like. You know, he wants her to to grow up and become a woman. Um, but at the same time, he's like, oh, have I done enough to protect her? And like, have I set her on the right path? That kind of thing. And, you know, by the time he's gone back to uh, is it Paris, I guess, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, Marius is, uh, you, mm-hmm. you kind of get the impression that he's sort of, I guess, passing the torch in a weird way to Marius to, to take care of her. Um, yeah. Which is weird. Uh, I don't. I don't like. I don't like how they treat Cosette toward the end of this. It's yeah, like like she's not a a person. It's it's mm-hmm. weird. Like she can't handle the truth, right? Like no, yeah, she's too delicate. I ugh, uh, that really annoys me. Yeah, and and there's this idea that uh, the Jean Valjean to give her the life that she needs to lead, he has to go away because yeah. in his mind, you know, Javert's ne- Javert is never going to stop looking for him. He's this implacable thing. He can't be reasoned with. Whatever. It's like, and if not him, someone else. As long mm-hmm. as I'm in her life, as much happiness as that'll bring her, it's also this 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 uh, you know submarine despair that's going to just periodically come and disrupt her life. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like again, uh, Cassette and uh, and Marius only like Marius only exists to enthrall Cassette, and Cassette only exists to provide stakes to move Jean Valjean into uh, Jean Valjean rather goddamn mm-hmm. into the the revolution cuz otherwise he just hole up somewhere or sure. like get yeah. the fuck out while the city descends and 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 start his life over like he's done so many times before now he can no longer do that because he's got his daughter wants to put down roots and start living her life and mm-hmm. he's never been straight with her about what he's doing and why he's yeah. running and you know that's the most uh, annoying thing to me a lifetime of asking like what's the deal here uh, right. all she gets is a stone wall and then immediately he meets Marius for the first time and he's like oh here's right. my life story Marius yeah, Oh, all, yeah, and also yeah. don't tell it to Cosette because she's too fragile right. a flower to take the <laughs> truth like fuck you man yeah yeah for sure um, there's um, a lot of I guess we should maybe should, we should uh, read Michelle's notes before we get uh, okay. too carried away because um, I want to start talking about this this movie in like detail uh, Michelle says, I first fell in love with this film when it was in theaters in 2012. I'd always wanted to see it live on stage, but I never had the opportunity. So when it was released, I wasted no time since I knew I was going to love it, but I had no idea how much. While there were definitely some films that can easily make my eyes a bit watery, very few have actually brought me to full-on tears. But once Anne Hathaway reached her iconic scene and sang the first few lines of I Dreamed a Dream... There was an immediate hush in the audience. It was so quiet that you could probably hear a literal pin drop, but instead the only thing you could hear from the audience was every single one of us crying, and that was only in the first hour. Hmm. Uh, Gavroche's death, Eponine and Marius singing together after she's shot in battle, empty chairs and empty tables. Christ, the fucking song. And Marius being overcome with survivor's guilt, Valjean's final moments. It's definitely a wreck by the time... I was definitely a wreck by the time the credits rolled. 
I should say, though, I don't actively seek out movies like this that cause emotional devastation on a certain level, but I do really, really appreciate the artistry and talent it takes to present something so epic that it can move you so much. There are only a handful that completely captivate me, take me out of my current surroundings, and immerse me right into the world on screen. From the first moments of the prisoners pulling the large ship in the port to the final scene of all our characters assembled into one large group singing to us, this was and still is one of the most memorable films I've seen. I think it also resonates with me on a personal level with the values that our main characters seem to live by, that I've always tried to live my life by as well. Love, honor, truth, and freedom. Les Miserables will always have a special place in my heart, and I'm so grateful for you to, or to you both for this commission. Do you hear the people sing? Singing the song of sad Michelle's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, thank you, Michelle. I really appreciate that. And that was one of the things I was nervous about, like going back and revisiting this, because uh, the big part of my fandom of this film was what back when I was a devoted Christian. And there's a lot of like, you know, appeals to Christian principles and stuff. And I wondered if that stuff would ring false to me now. But honestly, I think it even makes it the, the grief sharper, you know, like because in my worldview, the if you die for a cause that's doomed and gets you nothing, you just kind of threw, you, you know, like that. What what Marius sings to his friends about uh, what was it um, uh, with the, the empty chairs and empty tables? He says, uh, you know, my friends don't ask me what your sacrifice was for. Mm-hmm. Like that part always gets me because like, what is the, there is no answer. Like no one, no one, no one came to the barricades with us and we all fucking died and life is still shit and the plague's still coming. Um, and you don't have a yeah. reward in paradise to look forward to for a good life. But, the, 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 but on the other hand, you do still got to risk things for your principles at times, knowing right. that, you are putting all your chips in the tape on in uh, you're going all in. Right. And then hopefully you can inspire uh, people in the future with your, your story um, with, with your heroic acts, uh, you know, as futile as they may seem at the time to, to do the same. Right. I kind of want to start things by comparing and contrasting the approaches of adapting a musical to the film. And fortunately we've had ready hand examples, both of us of the two approaches. One is, Hey, you get a stage, you set it up, you put the cameras where the audience is, and you film the fucking thing. Mm-hmm. What what a concept that was! It's done in Hamilton. Uh, my favorite uh, Broadway recording of Cats, I think, is the '98 version. Does just that. You have a stage, and you, the camera is the audience, and maybe you can do some fa- funny camera moves. Maybe you can add a little bit of special effects. Um, but you don't try to make this a real flesh and blood thing. You respect the fact that it's a play. The other way to go, which is what Tom Hooper does here, is you just you, you go for broke and you put this in a real world. Um, and there's strengths and weaknesses of that approach. I think the obvious strengths are uh, you've got great actors get all up in their eyeballs, mm-hmm. have their eyeballs and their quivering mouth take up two thirds of the screen and just stay there with them in their grief and their rage and whatever they're feeling. And also, you got amazing set and costuming and design and all that kind of stuff, so you don't have to use your imagination. Like, you know, hell, I don't even think I knew what the hell Jean Valjean... Jesus, I'm going to start just saying Valjean. Yeah, I call him VJ in my notes. VJ. Jean. 
Um, sure. if, uh, I had, had no idea he was actually pulling on a boat or what the hell he's doing. You know, he's just, just men pantomiming at toiling. They're miming at toiling on the stage. Oh. And then you just got this big impressive set and the sea's crashing in and he's dragging this stuff and, and it looks very impressive. Um, but I think the, the, the places where this hurts is, um, you know, musicals have this kind of like heightened realism. You know, you're not supposed to literally understand that people are singing everything, right? Um, there's so much artificiality that you see on the stage that you understand that they're not literally singing these things. These are just like their emotions and their thoughts and their words are kind of all blended and coming out. And you're kind of like emotionally and mentally merging with them as a character and experiencing this us. And sometimes, and it's also not weird for someone to just address the audience, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, you're there and to dress and to do things like that. And when this is a real set with a whole city's worth of people, or you've got someone that's in like, you know, the den of a, a, a bunch of prostitutes and they just start singing into the camera. It feels weird because it's an unrealistic thing to do in a highly realistic situation. Yeah. And then you transform the people into cats <laughs> and you have the ultimate problem, which is the heightened realization, the heightened reality goes away. You're just left with cat sized people, mm-hmm. sometimes wearing clothes, sometimes not. Judy Dench is showing her butthole. What are my, what the fuck am I seeing here? This isn't people wearing spandex no more. This is too real. Huh. So. I think a lot of, and I haven't, I've, we haven't talked yet about like your problems with the film, but I think so far from what I've heard, a lot of that is like, it's not nearly as jarring hearing these people sing every fucking word when it's on stage and everything just kind of blends from one damn thing after another. But when, and you never leave the stage, like it might change yeah, yeah. dressing. And also, like, you know, all you got to do to get the, to, to have all that drop away is turn off the house lights and spotlight somebody and bam, there you've got them in isolation and they can mm-hmm. concentrate on their singing and the perform. And, you know, the seats that I sit in, I can barely see the people's faces. Oh, so yeah. I'm not judging their acting ability. It's, I'm I'm I'm, ju- I'm judging their blocking on the stage and their singing ability. And here, you know, um, the other thing I think that is unique to Tom Hooper is he likes to get these people recorded live like you, the performance you hear of Anne Hathaway singing she actually did on that stage yeah for better or worse really impressive I, I think it's very impressive and it gives a really emotional ground feeling on the other hand if you had Anne Hathaway standing straight up in a sound recording booth she'd probably sound a little bit better and she wouldn't yeah. struggle with some of the parts I think she struggles with but I like that part of the struggle um, I think it really it really um, adds to how just emotionally wrenching that scene is. But when you get to like uh, um, uh, sh- fucking tug tugboat guy, uh, <laughs> Russell Crowe. Crow. Hey, oh, come on. OK, l- l- let me comment on a couple of these things here. Um, OK, hit me. So, so Hamilton is kind of like a perfect blend of the two, in my opinion, uh, at least the Disney presentation of it. Right. Because you've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody on a stage and they're doing, you know, minimal stage stuff, right? Like half the time, it's not even, I think they spend like the majority of that movie in maybe two different sets, right? On stage. Yeah, it's just just a wooden box. Yeah, essentially. Sometimes it has tables and chairs. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. Sometimes the staircase moves. That's about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But they also have a bunch of cameras. So it's not just a single camera sitting there as if you're an audience member. It's also giving you a close up every once in a while, right? In the, the big moments, like when the, the 
King is singing or something, or when, mm-hmm. you know, um, right. uh, Lin-Manuel has to do like a solo about his dead son or something like th- those are big moments where you get to see the actors acting, uh, in close up, kind of like a mo- movie. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I really appreciate that stuff. The other thing about taking a stage play and putting it on screen like this and filming it in that more movie style is you put a bunch of movie actors into the position of having to be stage actors um, Mm -hmm. in in a weird way, right? Because these people are not singers. You didn't hire these people because they're singers. I mean, Hugh Jackman, of course, has stage experience. He's done uh, plays. But I look at the the caliber of singing, the caliber of talent, and the specificity of the talent uh, that is happening in Hamilton, and I'm like, holy shit, these people can sing their asses off, right? Sure. Every single one of them, almost down to to a person. And then you come to this and you're like, okay, well, there are two or three who can really belt it out. But the vast majority of them are just there because they're actors who are famous who wanted in on this role. Um, And so the singing isn't quite as high a level as something that you'd see from like a stage play. But uh, I I don't know. And some that... And sometimes it doesn't matter because like Sasha Baron Cohen, like they don't ask the right. master of the house to do very much lyric. To, like there's not much range you're required to do that kind of stuff. For sure. But um, and like I think Anne Hathaway and uh, uh, Hugh Jackman are capable of doing all the stuff that they're asked to do. And that's just the yep. problem with Russell Crowe is that he's got that same <laughs> limited range. But they like, you know, that stars song is really fucking tricky. And some of the notes he's Which supposed one to hit that? in his suicide, the one where he's uh, the um, swearing to the stars he's going to bring Jean Valjean back to justice. He's walking along the rooftops for the first time, not committing suicide. Uh, okay, okay. Like, I was going to say some, he does that twice, some, so yeah. There's some really soaring notes he's supposed to hit, and if you listen to... Like, I, unfortunately, I can't unhear the original Broadway guy, who is very, very good. Oh, uh, see, I haven't just, heard that. He's just not doing it. And I think there's some of it you can, you, even if you don't know what it's supposed to sound like, you 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 know he's supposed to go. And I, it's, it's he's a limited range and he's got limited power. Like, and I have the same problem. I huh. can sing fairly well in a, like a 12 note range, but, and I can go a little bit higher with that with the, maybe a fault. But if I have to like belt it, it just all falls the fuck apart. Right. Um, right. I don't have the training. I don't have yeah. probably the natural equipment, all that stuff to do it. And, I feel like maybe some of these guys you you should have taken back to the booth and given them a chance, do some auto tuning, like like let them you know get them out of that costume that's restrictive. I honestly don't know how the hell Anne Hathaway got some of those notes. Like she's hunched over, bent, her diaphragm's compressed. Um, you know, it's it's all one take shit too. Like it's not like you know every fifteen seconds she can just do bits and snatches uh, of, of the performance. Um. See, so, okay, Russell Crowe. I don't think he's that bad, but I, A, I haven't seen the original, uh, yeah. and B, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of experience with musicals, so I don't really know what an amazing singer sounds like other than the stuff I've heard in Hamilton. Which um, is not necessarily amazing singing on the most part. It's uh, that, that, rapping. Th- there are a couple people in there who are fucking amazing. Like the guy who plays George Washington is an incredible singer. The guy who plays yeah. the King is an incredible singer. Yeah. yeah uh, just the know, control right. they have, but like, sure, sure. So I'm looking at Russell Crowe and I'm going, okay, he's, he's not amazing. He's not blowing me away, but he's serviceable. And also he's a good contrast between 
his stuff and and like everything else in the movie is sort of just like like up an octave it's it's not even like uh, that it's up an octave it's that it's like it's more singerly or something Uh right like he Uh he's almost a good contrast in that he's not that good at singing Hmm. uh but he's passable i I don't know every time he he opens his mouth i'm like okay this is different and i'm welcoming that yeah, and I will say that he, for, for, from an acting and just look, he is a very good Javert. Like, um, yeah, yeah. when he is just being implacable, mm-hmm. he's fucking amazing. And seeing his kind of rise from, like, you know, lowly jailer to, I don't know, chief commandant of the Paris Constabulatory. I'm not sure exactly what, what his ranks are as Come he's rising up in the movie. Yeah, um, but he's he's just his physical performance is, is really good. Yeah. Um, and for like 90% of the singing, it's fine. It's just, there's, again, he's got a belt on some of those things and it just, yeah. it just didn't work out. You know, if you put, you know, Roseanne Barr in there as uh Fantine and she's singing, she's just going to have a really hard time hitting, hitting some of those notes. But, um, uh, do you, but, but I, I think that's the, the, the big, the, the big, I think problem is I would, man, I wish there was a version of this with this cast, and it was done more in the Hamilton style, where it's just kind of a stage play. Because you get absorbed yeah. into it. I remember the first time I saw Les Mis, and I had, uh, I think I listened to the soundtrack once. Because I tried to get familiar with the music before I, in any any stage play I go to see. And I'd gotten really absorbed in the barricade stuff. And the way they, they did it real cool. I've never seen him do this at another. I don't... Uh, uh, at, at another performance but when Garvash is going to get that gunpowder and he's singing the you know small people or little, little people song um they had this dude costumed as a sniper uh get up in one of the unused balconies and actually take shots like it and it was like you know crack of a gunfire and mm-hmm. it scared the shit out like it was like one of those moments where you, you, it plays off as like um you know, this kind of like moment of triumph for this little guy. And then he gets he gets taken down by the sniper. Um, Wait, is he in like the audience balcony? Y- yeah, he's this dude sneaks up in the audience oh, that's balcony dressed cool. as, a, okay. as a French soldier. And then you don't like they don't spotlight him or nothing. Yeah, he yeah. just uh, shoots and you see the gout, the flame. And it's like the jump. And you're like, where the hell did it come from? <laughs> and then Garvash is and he does it three more times and he is spotlighted. But like. That kind of immersive shit you can't do here, and right. I kept on thinking like the the way the way Hooper filmed it, like you knew something wrong was going to happen before it happened, yeah, and it yeah. robbed. But like, is that better or worse? Like, I don't know. I had a very unique experience with it that I thought was amazing. You can't duplicate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought there's a, a couple things there where um, the. I, like I said, I just would like to see a more simplified, scaled down where people are just standing there singing and belting things. And you can do the Hamilton thing where you get close-ups and you can do the drone shots and stuff, whatever. But I do like the the audience perspective you get. Um, but yeah, uh, do you want to? The, the, how how do you want to go? Because I, eventually, I want to go like chronologically through all the, the big numbers and talk about them. Oh, okay. Um, but where do you do you want to talk about the themes of the film or? Um. I feel like we'll get to that in the course of talking about the scenes. So you want to just go with that then? Yeah. Uh, so look down um, is a great way to begin this because it kind of sets the tone of despair. And then uh, the, the and title of the film, you know, it's gives you that feeling. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's also really effective in establishing a couple important plot points, which is Jean Valjean is apparently almost superhumanly strong is one of his defining characteristics. Like he's mm-hmm. he's uh uh <laughs> it didn't work for you? No, no, no. I'm remembering like so this comes into play later in the film, right? Where right. Russell Crowe, where, where Javert is That's looking Javert, yeah. on as he lifts this card off a man and apparently recognizes his lifting face. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't know if it's like the pattern of bulging veins on his forehead is the thing that goes, th- Valjean? I, I thought it was pretty cool how they mimicked like the camera angle and everything like uh-huh. him struggling to lift that flag thing was him struggling <laughs> to lift it like it was like it and they they they, they panned the javert going like jacques you know i thought I know. It, was, it did not work I, for me because i was laughing yeah at how yeah yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. like how cute it was it's it's too cute mm-hmm. yeah but then they also in this introduction they establish you know he's getting paroled and you know he's free but is he because he's right. got these parole papers, this yellow card that identify that he has to show everywhere that identifies him as a felon, and he dangerous can't get, man. He can't get a job. He can't even get room and board. It gets, it gets like it. It just really shows where he's you know in a state where he's almost an animal, and he gets with this bishop, which is a fun little detail for hardcore Les Mis fans. Is that he is the original Broadway actor for Jean Valjean, the the huh. the bishop. Okay. That saves him, um, and he sings. He sings crazy good. Yeah. But uh, this guy could have burnt him, and instead he sets him up and gives him this ability to become a better man and live a better life. Uh, and it's that's that's the moral engine that makes this whole uh, machine run. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of the movie is him paying it forward, right? Yeah, and it's amazing. <laughs> I don't know how. Um, Man, I, I've met him. I've I've walked among them, but I find it hard to believe that you can be a fan of this material and be like a fiscal conservative because the moral oh. of the story is yeah. if you take people in bad debased situations and you raise them up out of it and give them enough that they can like start another life, look what happens. Yeah. Um, whereas if you go around javering everybody and like, well, you know. You f- you know, hard work, just reward. That's what we're in here for. And if, if it that's, didn't work for you, then you done fucked up and the Lord wants you in jail or in hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do. I, 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 I can't figure it out, but uh, I don't know. That's the, that's literally the lesson of the story here. Uh, uh, give people second chances and they'll take, they'll mostly take them. And this is the, the part of the movie. And it's, it's really early on uh, that, you know, you start to get, a little choked up, right? Like this moment where he, instead of like turning him in and saying, Oh, he stole all my silver. Uh, he hands him these two candlesticks, which you, you see coming back later, right? You get the impression. I I think I'm supposed to get the impression that he's living off of the money that those candlesticks, uh, brought him after, you know, his fortunes turn and he's running from Javert, right? He's got this bag that you can see him stuffing one of the candlesticks back into as, as him and Cosette are leaving. Oh, I think that's interesting because I interpret it as um, the best, for the the what he saved best for last are the ones like he sold all the other silver to set himself up. But these things yeah. are like Scrooge McDuck's, you know, like he's got his okay. first dollar framed, like, you know, gotcha. everything else goes into bin. But these are these are special to me. These are these are the literally 30 pieces of silver that was was bought as bought out of slavery and bondage with. So, OK, um, he's like not wanting he's, he's kept those around for for memento. 
Yeah. Um, but they, they also set up a contrast between um, Jean Valjean, who was given this leg up by a person who was merciful, and Fantine, who was, you know, uh, trying to do the right thing. And they, they even have explicit, like, you know, uh, Jean Valjean got in trouble for stealing a mouthful of bread for a sister who is dying. And, you know, Fantine is trying to, uh, she's working as a seamstress trying to provide for her daughter that she had out of wedlock. Um, had done nothing wrong, as best I can tell. Yeah, but these bitches at the seamstress factory are turning against her, and this, but and then like, um, it's one of those cases where like, uh, like the oppressed are are often the oppressor. Like, yeah. uh, there's this uh, great character, and she's played by the lady who plays Nancy Birch uh, from Harlots, which I quite enjoyed this last few years. Uh, but yeah, them leading against a like, uh, you know, this, this foreman. This foreman's trying to like move in on Fantine because she's young and attractive and she's trying to put him off because she's a good girl. And these girls are manufacturing this fiction that she's like this loose woman and she's got this bastard child and, you know, she she's she's playing the foreman for a fool and that they get in a big fight and Jean Valjean just breaks it all up and, you know, tells the foreman to settle it. And he does this terrible, unjust decision. So. It's there again. The moral engine is is goes on to the second stage where you compare Jean Valjean who got the leg up versus uh, Fantine who got the kick in the face, and now the boot that was on the foot to kick her in the face is Jean Valjean's. And what's he going to do when when he's made aware of this this terrible injustice? And you know, we get a little taste of what happens to Jean when he goes like, you know, living his life as kind of an outlaw. And we see the full measure of that, of Fantine of like how she slowly sells everything she has of value, her, her valuables, her hair, her fucking teeth, mm-hmm. her, and every, every, along every degradation, it leads her to, to, yeah, her dignity, her pride. And she's left by the end with nothing. Like this, this lifestyle takes her, takes her life from her. And I, the yeah. film even makes it explicit, like Javert is trying to, uh, you know, put her in jail, and Valjean says she doesn't need a prison; she needs a fucking hospital, you idiot, mm-hmm. and tries to make good, but it's too late. So all you can do is promise that he'll take care of Cosette. But uh, yeah, uh, a couple things. So at the beginning, they make Hugh Jackman look so bad, and I don't know if he lost weight for the beginning of this uh, yeah. shooting or what, but he looks very thin, very gaunt, very sickly um and, and you know their makeup is doing a lot of heavy lifting on that i'm sure right and, and the hair right. the bad haircut the poorly shaved head my uh, god what what happened to him I, did they did they shave that shave these prisoners with a lawnmower i didn't I think they were invented yet that's the kind of haircut you get as like a frat party prank when you pass out in the bathroom <laughs> like yeah yeah uh yeah. it's bad but then you know he shows up in his top hat and his nice coat as a businessman and a mayor um and the the contrast there is pretty stark um and yeah. then Anne Hathaway incredible in these scenes um you know we talked about all the despair she goes through after losing her job and selling herself and then when we get to that final song i get the feeling that if she had more screen time if she was a uh it i don't she almost could have played cosette in this in this mm-hmm. thing like i don't think she's too mm-hmm. old to play like a 20 year old um or however old she's supposed to be uh, but you get the impression that she might steal the show from Hugh Jackman if she had more screen time because she's that good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all the songs that go along with this, you know, uh, at the end of the day, 
you're another day older and you're another day colder. And that's, that's that when you come to the life of the poor is great because Mm -hmm. it sells the themes of like the twin themes of this film are despair and hope and the war within the human spirit uh, and condition. And some of the, I I found like, you know, it's been seven years since I've seen this film. Like some of these lines hit different, like, uh, you know, the plague is, you know, the, and at the end of the day, the plague is ready to kill. Because it's like, yeah. you know, everything else, all the other burdens on the poor, and now you got a plague sweep in the streets. I'm like, Jesus Christ, 2020, fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lovely ladies, it's another one of those things where it's like, it's kind of like a body fun song, but the actual practice of it is like, you know, horrific. That's, at least that's the way it goes in the movies, where it's like these lovely ladies, and like a lot of times, like Parrots of the Caribbean, you see these prostitutes as these, uh, you know, colorful, larger-than-life free people, but this is kind of like the actual grueling reality side of it. And then you end up heard singing. I dreamed a dream and God damn that song. I, I look, I can't go fully into some of these songs. Cause if I do, I'll just start sobbing. Like I can already feel it sure, like in, the, sure. in the tightness in the back of my throat. Yeah. But like the, the lyrics are all so heartbreaking how mm-hmm. she had this man that she loved for like a summer and she, he left her with nothing Worse than nothing. Now she has a child she has to take care of. And but yet she still also fantasizes about like what if he was still here? Like yeah, Jesus Christ back. is so it's so pathetic. Uh yeah. This, and, this is the first time where you get a little choked up. But this this movie definitely got to me. I am yeah. a lot like Michelle, where movies don't really get to me that much. Um but yeah. starting here and in a few notable moments between now and the end, yeah, definitely got to me. And there's also set up the the other morale kind of there's so many freaking morality plays in this thing. But like uh, the first time Javert gets the feeling that, uh, oh, you know what? This guy's uh, this uh, two, four, six, oh, one. He's gotten gotten out again. And he throws himself at the mayor, in this case, uh, Valjean's mercy and says, you know, I made a false accusation. Turns out they caught this guy. And it's it's such a brilliant little twist because it's a double horn dilemma. Yep. Because on the one hand, now Valjean is all he has to do is let this guy take this fall and live in the hell that he should would would by all legal rights be living in, and he'll be smooth sailing. Um, but if he does if he does that, then you know who am I? You know mm-hmm. who who what does that say about you? What would the bishop say? What does God say? What is this going to do to my mortal soul? Uh, and he has the I opportunity found- to get Javert off his back at this point too, right? He could turn in Javert right. um, and bust right. him down for making the false accusation. He could also let this guy who they think is him rot in jail. Yeah, it's it's a nice little, uh, it, it's a nice plot development that triggers a couple of things um, and Plus- sets up stuff for later when he again lets Javert go. Plus, it also, like, because a lot of times Javert would be, like, this corrupt individual, right? He'd be, like, a sheriff of Nottingham type. But this scene reveals that, nah, he's, you can say a lot about Javert and his worldview and how fucked up it is, but there's zero hypocrisy in it. Sure. Like, he's ready to hold himself to the same standards of justice that he would hold anyone else. Like, I'm I'm at this station, and I accuse someone at this station, and that's bad, and it's a false report, and I need to be punished for it. Yeah. Um. So, like I said, most of the villains in his mold would have this kind of duplicitous quality, but you can't, you know, like he's got a terrible worldview, but he's he's living by its its terms, which I think is a refreshing change. Um, 
and made him a much more complex villain. Probably why he kills himself yeah. in the end, because like that's uh that's a world viewed as built in contradictions to it, you know. Sure. And and you uh, if if you, he's incapable of changing his worldview, then he's got to take himself out of the equation, right? I definitely want to talk about that when we get to it. Um, the the other thing that happens, the thing that happens right after this is when uh, Valjean goes. Uh, you know, he can't live with the idea that someone else is going to take his place, rotting for his crimes or perceived crimes. Right. And so he goes and he right. turns himself into the court, right? And he says, hey, mm-hmm. I am 26401, whatever the number is. And and th- and they say, look at your hat. Look at your coat. Look at your teeth. Mm-hmm. You couldn't possibly be too. So get out of here, mayor of Lamar or whatever. Uh-huh. It, it, the, the height of privilege, right? Like I'm turning myself in for a crime and I'm not believed because I look too proper. Right. The fuck. right. right. Uh, I also just love the duality of that because, like, the who am I? He realizes I'm Jean because he's been living this other guy's life. Um, I'm Jean Valjean. And then the second part of it, when it finishes, uh, who am I? I'm I'm uh, two. What is it? Two four six zero one. Yeah, no, no, he, he belts that instead of his 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 uh, name in in the setting of the court, which is I thought like incredible. Um, but yeah. then you have him, you know, Javert bust him at the hospital when he's trying to make good on his promise of Fantine. And he tries to beg. He's like, look, OK, you got me. But I need three days to, to save this kid or it's going to. And Javert's like, yeah, whatever. Um, but you also there's a lot of um, there's a lot of character development here that like one of the reasons Javert has his worldview is that he's like, you think you know about me? I was born inside a jail. Like I have, yeah. I have, a, I have clawed my way up in society with hard work, and I'm getting my just rewards. And your bullshit threatens to take away all of my legitimacy, legitimacy, essentially. Completely, you know? ne- completely neglecting all of the luck that it took, all the fortunate sure. turns, the fortunate rolls of the dice that he got along right. the way. Right, thinking it's all due to his own hard work, and yeah. But it's really hard to talk people out of their personal experiences. Like, sure, you know, sure. like we, we talked about that there will be blood guy, you know, uh, he fell down a well or a, a mine broke his leg and crawled up out of that and thinks because he did that and is so exceptional that he deserves everything. He doesn't see the thousand scenarios where he broke his back or his pelvis or he slipped on the rope or, yeah. you know, he forgot to take that swig of water and he weakened and died like you know, it's like I did it. Everyone could do it in my situation. And it's not even like you even couldn't do it from that situation if you did that situation a hundred more times, you know? Right. Um, but uh that's why Javert is such a frustrating guy, right? For sure. You'd think uh, he'd have some sympathy if he grew up in the gutter, if he was born in the gutter. Uh yeah. he'd have some sympathy for people who also were, but that's the way it goes, though. Like, sometimes people have those experiences and like, Jesus Christ, I know what it would mean for me to have somebody give me a hand up instead of a boot to the face. And they become one way and the other people, uh, maybe they succeed even if they have boots in the face or they don't see the all the hands that have helped them up or whatever. Uh, they they grow. They go a different way. Um, but they also have a very they they they, they young cassette. um which I thought she was Dakota Fanning, but it turns out she's uh, she's not. Uh, she's some other uh, actor. But mm-hmm. um, she sings this Castle on a Cloud, which I found also very heartbreaking. The idea that there's this child who dimly remembers when there was a better time, when she had a mother. And now she's with these. And you're going to find out just how terrible these <laughs> Thenardiers are. But like she's like... 
you know, uh, is like a Cinderella on speed existence, mm-hmm. you know, she, uh, I, I think the, what doesn't make this work a little bit is, and I can't remember if they do a better job in the play, but I felt like it would have been better if Cosette and Eponine were faster friends. Yeah, for sure. And I think instead what they do it is like uh, Eponine gets everything and has everything lavished, like what little attention and time and like is, is kind of lavished by her parents. And Cassette is just treated like a literal like, you know, scum. Mm-hmm. And it does. It, I felt like that had been a much more interesting case if they were really good friends and then got separated like Fox and a Hound style. And then when they're reunited, it's over this crazy fucking love triangle. But again, yeah, I it only barely really care about this shit. So. Well, I was going to say it only really matters later in the film because this is such a good scene. There's such a good set piece um, with Master mm. of the House and all that that yeah. I wasn't noticing like, oh, what are they not doing here? What should they be doing? It's right, only later when Eponine and Cosette are all grown up that you're like, oh, this is not quite hitting. If they had maybe done a little more in that Master of the House scene, uh, it would have worked better. But man, this this scene is so entertaining. And it's such a breath of fresh air. Like you need this comedic relief uh, in this moment. Otherwise, this movie could be a bear. Oh, yeah. Like uh, this body tavern house where you kind of like, you know, this uh, Sasha Baron Cohen plays this guy who is just running the most corrupt in in all of Paris, yeah. apparently, uh, or is just they're they're always cooking the uh, rooking the guests and cooking the books. Uh-huh. And my favorite, actually, the, the whole tavern is, is set up for this because like my favorite part is when they, they got a guy on the toilet and he reaches up through the floor <laughs> through the and trap doors that grabs his in his pockets. Yeah. <laughs> And this is the where I feel like this scene clearly shines above any production I've ever seen for that exact reason, because it's just them talking about all the different stuff and, you know, right, like, right. like they're, you know, uh, making the sausage out a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Oh, and yeah. now you're actually seeing the cattails being ground up and resulting sausage and, and all sound the, effects with and the, all uh, uh, and all the the crazy ways they're getting people drunk and picking their pockets and uh, like all the different trap doors and things he's got, uh, you know, in, in this, in the, in the, in the play, it's always like this big scene where they're kind of like dancing on tables and it's, it's the, it's the, uh, construction of the verses and the way they're singing it and all that. And then there's the, um, the double kind of like punchline, which is his wife also, fucking hates him and thinks he's he's worthless oh sure. like after he sees this he sings this song about how great he is and how he's the master of the universe and all that then his wife comes in and says actually his dick is broke he's a stupid <laughs> asshole uh everybody hates him no one try like i huh. and and there's that little fun and i think helena bottom carter nails that part of it too although for sure i will see i feel like that's a that's a little fucked up because um i don't know it I think it works better when she's just she's just she's just taking down the master of the house. And here she's still running the game like like the the way they said it is like this is her way of like how she robs the guest rather than just taking some air out of the master of the house. And they also have this thing where I don't remember this from any of the plays either, where um, the Mr. Thenardier, I have no thin idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, thin idea. Uh, that that she is always pushing him to do the thing, and like he's always kind of shying away from it. And I felt like in the plays that they were always mm-hmm. more of a team act. And 
it it sucks because I think it, it really leeches the the energy out of the final scene where they're trying to do the one last caper when he's just like, I just don't even want to be doing this. But, you know, she told me to say this kind of stuff. I I felt like that was a weird choice, but it doesn't really fuck up Master of the House because it's yeah, it's amazing. It's it is. the highlight of I think this is um this either closes the first act heading into intermission or opens up the second act. So it also serves in the play of like, you know, getting people like really amped up when you're about to like, you know, cool them down for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it works really good. And it I was already really pretty cool right during most of this movie. Like I I hadn't really gotten going yet in this film. Mm-hmm. This kind of like kicked me in the seat of my pants and said, OK, now I can, you know, really get into this thing. Uh, but then you have Javert like uh, swearing on the stars that he's going to bring this man to see him safely behind bars. And like again, this is a this is one of the showstoppers in the the musical, and it just doesn't work because Crow just don't got it. He just doesn't. Yeah. Um, and also I I don't like Javert just kind of skipping along the tops of the the rooftops in Paris. It feels foolhardy. It feels like a lark that he wouldn't be capable of. Like, mm-hmm. this works better if he's, like, beating the streets and on patrol and, like, occasionally looking up above him and, like, you know, admiring the stars for their constant unchanging being sentinels and drawing inspiration from him. But, like, yeah, him just well, kind of, like, dancing on the rooftops <laughs> is weird for me. How would he literally look down if he weren't on the rooftops? That's true. But he wasn't looking down in this case. I know. He was. He, he never was, looks uh, down. Yeah, he looks down in the beginning, but then that's it. He's always he's he's looking uh, neutrally or up from the, the rest of. Um, so next one you've got look down Paris edition because we're moved out of the country and now we're moving to gay Paris. Uh, I believe that's the the final fling that he and Cassette does is they're trying to get over the walls into Paris proper mm-hmm. uh, to evade Javert at the checkpoint. And now you got the you know bringing up the speed of how bad things have gotten over the next like fifteen years. Uh, introduces. I don't know. What do you think about the Gavroche scene? Because I, I always felt it a little weird to see this obvious of a third wall breaking scene, um, where he's directly at talking to the audience um, halfway through the movie. But I don't know. Like maybe maybe you don't that that it wasn't weird for you. It didn't seem that weird. This is the one where he's just kind of like uh, scuttling around the the carriages and stuff, right? Yeah, h- hassling the rich people and talking about how shitty okay. things are and how he sets the stakes because uh, if you don't know the thing that the thing that uh, caused the this uh, just June Revolution is this uh, General Lamarck, who was one of uh, Napoleon's most famous generals, who was kind of like a, a loyalist, but then later in his life turned into kind of like, well, this is bullshit. We did all this war to like have freedom and prosperity and look at what we got and he was one of one of the ones ad he's like a bernie sanders figure is what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. and like him his death like like seen as the last champion of the people dying is what like kind of set off the uh the this the student revolution um but it sets the stakes like you know like this this it is does, a, yeah. this is a situation that cannot remain it's only a matter of time before the barricades go up and we descend into bloody chaos again yeah, it's the um, first um, indication that that's even going to be a major part of the story and not just a backdrop for a redemption story. Yeah, yeah. And they, they introduce a lot of characters here. Marius, the the kind of spoiled rich kid from high society who's fighting for the poor. 
And again, I felt like they, there's a lot more about him in the musical um, that kind of got left out, the relationship with his grandfather and all that kind of stuff. And Eponine, who's apparently had enough of her parents and is trying to be uh, a virtuous uh, hustler out there, you know, mm-hmm. trying to like protect the people she cares about from her parents' de- depredations. She's desperately um, in love with Marius and he doesn't even des- look at yeah. her. Yeah. Doesn't even see her as like, you know, kind of like he thinks she's just a not serious person. I, I, that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like, I don't. Every girl that I've ever met that likes this show has a very clear woman that she sees herself as. I think like you're either Cosette, you're an Eponine and the vast majority of the women tend to be Eponines in my experience. Um, But I don't, I don't get it because they like Eponine just seems like a wretched character. Like she's, she does love this man. uh, But because I, I think you're supposed to understand that because of her personal affect is so glib and surface level that like, even though she's got the huge hots for Marius that Marius doesn't even like, you know, well, she's just trying to run me for game. Right. Yeah. You know, sure. She's trying to butter me yeah. up. So, and you know, he doesn't, doesn't take it seriously too far one or another, but it's kind of like, you know, if uh, a master of the house comes up and says, Oh, I love your beard or, Oh, look at you. You're not going to be like, Oh, wow. You must be my friend. You're like, Oh, okay. What's the, what's the hustle here? And I think she's a victim of her own circumstance. Yeah. That um, makes sense. But Cassette, the problem with Cassette is she's just literally nothing. Yeah, yeah. She's, they don't give her anything to do. She's, yeah, she's, she's simply there to lo- to love Marius, right? Yeah, she's like Eponine, only someone came and swept her out of that life and, and doted on her and gave her all the love and support. And um, I think part of the reason people hate Cassette is because since she doesn't know her father's complex backstory, she doesn't know what danger she's putting him in, you know, putting her foot down and be like, no, I don't want to run anymore. I want to love this boy and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. But it's like, is that Cassette's problem? Or no, is that because Jean I didn't blame Val her for Jean? that. Exactly. No, right. I blamed him for that. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah, I, their relationship is strange to me. Um but but also you know somewhat understandable for the the guy who's trying to protect this girl. I I get that, mm-hmm. but also she's she's a woman, not a young girl anymore. But Eponine's just like permanently friend zone, and it just gets keeping getting worse and worse. Like not only is this guy going after this girl that like apparently their attraction is entirely physical based. That there might have been more to it in the musical, but like yeah, she's beautiful. And, you know, Amanda Seyfried, that's the thing. It's like, I, well, I remember going into scene is like, maybe I'll really like cassette this time. Cause I really like Amanda Seyfried. I think she's amazing. I think she's a goddess, hmm. but she just pretty much brings that. And, uh, I forget. I can't even, I could have done with an Anne Hathaway in that role, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. But she just wasn't given anything. Cause like yeah, the, yeah. the, again, it's, they, they love each other. It's a Romeo and Juliet. You know, they looked across the courtyard and there they were. And, you know, uh, Cupid fired his arrows and, 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 but, but yeah, Eponine just keeps on getting more and more like, oh, you know, uh, <laughs> ferry this message back to this and ferry this, that and do this for me. And she's like, ah, yeah, I, ah, it's, it's, it's only terrible. serves, it only serves to further Marius's, uh, emotional storyline here. Like he's got to yeah. make a choice, right? He's got to make the Rob Stark choice between love and revolution and this is, you know, this is what got Rob Stark killed. And so I'm I'm looking at it going, oh boy, there's potential here for a lot of bad shit to happen. And a lot of bad shit does happen, but not from from that decision necessarily. 
No, because like it's like love and revolution. Well, yeah, like it's it's not like he had to choose between Eponine and Cosette. It's more of like Cosette and the revolution. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's I guess the real tragedy is like uh, I I did I did find the um, it fairly effective when Eponine gets shot. Uh-huh. Uh, protecting him and then him holding and like kind of realizing the like like getting a clue about the nature of the relationship and like Jesus like if I could if I could like love you enough to keep you if I could like fucking Trinity and Neo you yeah I would but I can't and you're gonna die I guess and then, then in that moment she's also making the same decision that uh, Valjean makes later on which is to further this love story for Marius and Cosette right she she tells. Marius where Cosette yeah. went so that he can go to her, uh, but, but only on her deathbed. From a likability perspective, she's in an impossible situation because she, through no fault of her own, is just the un... You know, no one deserves this kind of sacrifice to be made for... for. But, like, she's got three people sacrificing their lives and happiness for on her behalf, and she's largely ignorant of all of it. Right. Um. So she comes across as, like, really entitled and, you know, uh, she's, like, this idealized kind of perfect thing. Yeah, again, but, through uh, no fault of her own, really. Yeah, and again, Amanda Seyfried, if you're going to typecast her as, as that, not bad. Um, what do you think of the red and black? So this is... Uh, yeah, there's, yeah, a li- this- there's a song like this in Hamilton where like the boys are kind of like shining this guy on about how much he loves a girl and whether he's going to be true blue for the revolution. Um, it's, it's, it's fine. It's not my favorite. Um, I, I was doing a lot of research and I thought this red and black was going to have some kind of historical, um, deep historical meaning about this movement or whatnot. And it's not, uh, <laughs> okay. It's just, yeah, to it's, 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 it's hope and despair, love and loss. And that's, that's it. Um, I did learn something that I'd never known before in all my history of this fucking play is the group, this, this student group that is leading this kind of revolution. They're called the friends of the ABCs. Um, uh, like, uh, les amis de ABCs. And it's a play on words because in the French word for oppressed sounds like saying ABC, ABCs. Hmm. And so they're the friends of the ABCs, which literally means they're a friend of the poor and the pressed. Um, Interesting. Doesn't help me. That doesn't really mean doesn't do anything. It just it's it's something I learned and I felt like I'd tell Michelle. No, that's <laughs> kind of neat. So she can know it too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, now my whole problem with this part until the actual barricades go up is like I am none of this. I don't. I don't like. You could literally just cut out all of that stuff. Um, and just say that, like, you know, Cassette loves Marius for whatever reason, and Jean loves Cassette because, of course, he does, and that the rest of the movie works fine. But um, it is, I will say that, like, whoever they got to play Eponine is incredible because, as much as I don't yeah. give a shit about her and her arc, uh, watching her heartbreak in real time while she, he's, she's watching Marius sing to Cassette is like, fuck me. Uh, and then that scene that's where I'm, she sings in the rain, um, I, I think is very yeah. good. On my the on my own song, it's yeah. it's fantastic, and I can see. I mean, I, I think that's I guess that's probably the the reason that like people see themselves as her because it's on my own. This like being resolute about something that you can't change and making the best of it is. Uh, I mean, that's that's pretty easy to understand, I guess. Yeah, it's just oof, oof. What a what a cursed fucking character. <laughs> 
Um, I also like, so the next thing is like one more day where it's kind of like the big lead up where Javert is like encouraging his men to, that, that they're going to whip these students asses and the students are like whipping themselves up in the revolutionary fe- fever, uh, right. but it goes kind of like around and around. You get all the different perspectives in the city, the students, the private citizens and their worries, the system, the profiteers, uh, uh, they're they're all there, kind of like in a mix, and it, it, I felt like it it sets up that really strong until you get to the uh, death of Lamarck, and then do you hear the people sing? I mean, mm. that's a fucking chills moment and and goose pimple moment for me in the film. What did you think of it? Yeah, especially when they echo it back um, with Gavroche, right? Uh, he's he's singing that right before he gets killed, um, and you mm. think it's going to be the inspirational moment where. He saves the day and turns the tables, and unfortunately, no. Uh, See, so yeah, I like I like the intricacy of the way that they set up that one more day thing, and then you know, can you hear the people saying that? That's kind of the capper that I, I don't know. It's both like this emotional swelling, which I, I feel when they start singing it, and you see like the parade and them taking over and all that stuff. But then it's also the devastating blow. Uh, with Gavroche, which I love how they use it both ways. Yeah, I like how, like, I, I don't think this is spelled out, but um, they essentially take over the funeral procession for the General Lamarck. They're, like, uh, jumping on top of his giant hearse and, like, yep. waving these big flags and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's great, and it also uh, sets up Javert going undercover, which is kind of like the his, his third arc, you know, narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great... I don't know. Would you call it patriotic, stirring, uh, inspirational? Certainly. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's the react. There's just two reactions you have when you hear the people sing. You either get scared and nervous and like ah, or you you get inspired. <laughs> that should tell you something about your life. Yeah, it's like we're scared and nervous. Are you on? Uh huh. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I don't know. Like I said a lot of this stuff. Like I kind of like I, is a, a bit of a yada yada for me because like uh, you know Eponine gets shot. Uh, they they pinch Javert because uh, you know turns out he's been an asshole to all these people and Garvache uh, smokes him out. And then uh, uh, the students are going to kill this guy. I think or no they 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 leave it up to Jean Valjean who they yeah. see as a, a common man because he's helped them before and he's helped Marius and whatnot. And they leave it up to him, and he goes, oh, yeah, I've got a long history with him. I'm going to take him out back. And he sets him free. And yeah. it's so funny to see Javert, like, grapple with, like, this is clearly grinding his mental logic. Oh, I see. You're going to bargain your life for mine and all that. And Jean, Jean's just like, no, nah, dude. Yeah. Like, seriously, you're free. There's no bargains, no strings attached. I know. I know you're going to come right at me. I mm-hmm. get it. I don't care. This is the right thing to do. Put it in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, um, this is the mercy, the kindness, the forgiveness, everything that he was shown earlier on in the film by the priest, right? Yeah, and then you see, like, I, I felt like this is um, this "Bring Him Home" song is important for me because, like, again, I don't really give a shit about Marius um, and Cassette, but this weds Jean Valjean's fate to Marius. Like, he's essentially mm-hmm. uh, doing the "It's a far, far better thing for me" speech at the end of "Tale of Two Cities" for this particular guy. Like I have had so many second chances. I've done so much for my, and it, all of my life has led up to, so I can pass on and, and cause I'm always hunted. I'm always going to be hunted by this, exactly. this curse. I can save my daughter by, you know, saving this man at maybe the cost of my own life, which, 
Yeah. I mean, that shit's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment that they realize that in when dawn breaks and they think the whole city's risen behind them, but they find out they are in fact the last barricade left and there's troops amassing to kill them all. Yeah. Um, and they're debating whether, well, we can just leave. <laughs> we don't have to die to a man. And but then Gavros brings them all together. Yeah. Why, why do you think they stay? Because I don't know. Garbosh I, I like to just think doesn't it's... understand how death works. <laughs> yeah, he's a child. He has no concept. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's as an inspiration to future peoples, right? Like the, the I don't know when they, when they go back and you recount their story. Is it going to be one of them giving up, or is it going to be one of them, you know, uh, going going down with a fight? And I guess like. There's some value to that, right? Inspiring future peoples to take up your cause um, and inspiring the miserables, um, the oppressed to to stand up against the, the pressing powers um, that might be worth more than your life in this case. I don't know. I will say that I think that here's where Russell Crowe really shines because this shot of him like achieving victory he's quelled the the rabble for the legitimate government and this is what he set out to do and it was about as easy as he thought it was going to be but he sees the cost like all of the the troops on both sides and then he's got all these kids and he gets down to garvash and he takes his medal uh and pins it on him like that's not you don't get that in the fucking uh, you know this this human touch in in the musical, huh. and uh, I thought Russell Russell Crowe was really strong. Um, because yeah, it, it works more of like that's where this heightened reality versus actual reality kind of you know um sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Because in the play, you just kind of go with the Javert has had a change of heart and he's going to kill himself because well, it's a musical. That's what people do in musicals, you know. Sure. Romeo and Juliet's not a sober analysis of like fucking game theory, right? It's mm-hmm. just oh my god, my love is dead. I'm going to kill myself. Oh my god, I <laughs> oh my god, she's know? alive. I've already killed yeah, myself. She's, yeah, yeah, it's killed myself. Now I'll kill myself for real this time. <laughs> it's like it's just that kind of shit. And like doesn't make sense, but whatever. It's very romantic, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, him pinning that medal on Garvash really got me. And then like. I thought it really worked well, the um, Jean Valjean calling Javert's bluff after he emerges from the sewer covered in shit, and Javert's just it's saying, like, you take one more step, I swear to God, I'm going to end you both. Yeah. And he just looks backwards like, you know, I've made my choices, it's time for you. Mm-hmm. And it breaks Javert. It breaks him. Like, he... Yeah, his, his worldview is shattered by the mercy he's shown, right? Like, he can't... Yeah. And, and and the song is interesting to me that he's singing up on these rooftops as he's about to throw himself off because mm-hmm. there's it's it's not that his his mind has been changed here necessarily. It's that almost he's angry that he was given this this opportunity uh to live by his enemy, right? It's it's a it's a spite thing. At one point they use that word. Like I'm I'm gonna spite him by throwing away the life he granted me. It's it's a hatred thing. It's weird. It reminds me a lot of um Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump. Okay. Like this guy, like you robbed me of my destiny, you robbed me of my legitimacy, you robbed me of my and you know, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a later act where he gets space he gets space uh, legs and a Vietnamese bride and and uh, heavy investing in Apple stock has made him a rich man. Uh-huh. 
but but yeah, like uh, it's like he's so inflexible that like the idea of like just changing my worldview to account for new information doesn't even occur to him. Yeah, it's like I have these rigid rules of justice and uh, this this mercy and forbearance doesn't fit into it. So it's like, um, yeah, I have to kill myself rather than 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 live with uh, in hypocrisy because I, I yeah, it's almost like. It's he no, realizes it's no longer just to hunt this man down. Like, what is he even doing? Yeah. But he also has to do his duty. Like they they mentioned duty in connection with Javert like six times, and it's always uh, Valjean. Sometimes accusatory, sometimes like resignedly, sometimes like praising him for doing his duty. Mm-hmm. Um, but he can't. He can't not do it. I mean, I guess this is him not doing it, throwing himself and in, brutally into the rivers. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce that. How do you pronounce a river sign? I, Se- I don't know. River Pro- Se- Probably. That's probably closer. Yeah. Sene. Um, I'm like, I guess I'll, I'll, I had so many questions about like how they do that. How you built a fountain out of a river? Like, damn. Uh, yeah. He, he throws himself off and kills himself. And then that's, that's it. But I don't think Valjean realizes this. I mean, how would he, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, and I think you're supposed to understand that's another layer of tragedy that like Valjean could just stop running because the last person who would ever give a fuck about hunting this guy down who's been has been missing for 35 years or whatever is now dead. Yeah, but he has to live as if he does, which robs him of his. I don't know. It's like it's weird. It's like a double curse that they're that they're wrapped in. Uh, so yeah. I wonder if that's the the spite part that he mentions, like he's going to kill himself and, you know, Valjean will never know that and he knows that he'll never know. Mm, so he'll uh, always be the threat. Um, yeah, he's, he's now this boogeyman, right? Yeah, but there's this also this short little song called Turning where it's about the, I think it's supposed to understand it's the public opinion turning on the government where people are like, ah, look at these boys, they, you know, they, they got slaughtered and... You know, they're people that love them and, and now they're not there anymore. And there's also, but it's also, and I'm like, look, okay, that's interesting. But they also uh, juxtapose with Marius's grandfather coming in to visit him and take him back into the family. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, but it doesn't matter because empty chairs and empty tables are coming to clear all those confused thoughts out, just unify you and how bad this sucks and how sorry I feel for Marius and in yeah. in uh, c- conjunction Valjean. Um, it's, God, yeah, these lyrics like singing about tomorrow and tomorrow never came. Fuck it, nope, nope, I can't do it. You got anything to say, Jim? You got yeah, to say? I, it's great. I, I, what is his name? Eddie Redmayne is that the actor's name? He's great. Uh, I, I've probably seen him in something else since 2012, but uh, I, I don't immediately recognize him. And I, I mean, was his best, impressed. his best role, uh, Jupiter Ascending. I mean. In that? I, I've seen a I've seen a weird cut of that movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. You've never seen the full thing. No, um, and he's also the star of those uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, Harry Potter spinoff. Mm. Uh, I think seen that's those. where a lot of people probably recognize his face. But uh, he's good. He comes across as very earnest in. in yes. Uh, like, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is about his face, but every time they do a close up on him, I'm just like he he can't not be thinking something or giving like everything to the camera in any given shot. Yeah, no, if, if this guy was 
had just even a little bit less earnestness, you'd hate him, right? Like if he smirked sure. at all throughout the rest. Right. But you, you always, and I, and there's not much left in the movie to go. But like you feel that weight on both of him and Cassette. Like even in her happiest moments, like you know they kind of as haunted, and then they'll look at each other and smile. But like you know she's grieving for the father who inexplicably just took off on a foreign travel for like at at, at the apex of her happiness. And he's grieving for not just his friends that he'll never see again, but for this movement. The fact that, like, yeah. God damn, I guess we were the literally only people in France that gave a shit. Mm-hmm. You know, when it came to the the upper class and everybody else didn't didn't care. They shut their doors and windows to us. That's another heartbreaking scene of students uh, too late trying to get off the streets and all the doors are closed to them. Yeah. Uh, so they are going to get uh, kettled by uh, by the the, the police. Um. And then, like I said, everything else is just like a blur. Literally, I I, I couldn't tell you what the the visuals look like in the last twenty minutes of the film because uh, it's just all hazy. <laughs> yeah, you get like but, another uh, master of the house sort of scene, right, where they scan their but way it's, into uh, the it's, wedding. And... Yeah, but it's not really fun because and not you're, as much, and no. it's 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 kind of pathetic. And you got Jean Valjean singing "Heartful of Love," where he realizes that he has to make one last sacrifice for cassettes and uh, go away forever. Well, so and this then, this second master of the house scene, right? The wedding scene. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's a wedding. I think it's he, he and Cassette's mm-hmm. wedding, right? Yeah. Um, really serves to highlight just how shitty the master of the house and his wife are, um, this couple, because you see that every time they try and pull these scams on the wealthy, every time they try and pull mm-hmm. them on the the educated, on the you know, the well off, they don't work, right? right? Like they try this shit on Valjean. He's, he's got his hands in his pockets, protecting his wallet. He's taken back his hat, all that stuff in this scene. Yeah. He, they straight up get punched in their faces, uh, and knocked Mm. to the ground by this guy who gets the information that he needs from them. Uh, it's only the, the miserables, the unfortunate that they can fleece. And it's just like, it shows what wretches, what like opportunistic assholes they really are. Yeah. Yeah, and it's ironic because like this scheme that they do to try to embarrass him for money on the wedding day backfires and reveals because they're like, oh, your father-in-law, you think he's a virtuous man, but we saw him hiding the corpse in the sewer and this is the ring he pulled off the body. He's like, wait a minute, that's my ring. Holy shit, I only live because this man drug me through the sewers. He's even bit more of a savior hero guy. Oh my God. Like it's uh, after him. Yeah, like I said, I'm still still a wreck. And then they track him down to this. Uh, I forget what they call it. This covenant, covenant, co- it's gonna be like convent, a monastery right? or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Where he's monastery. he's he's dying of just being too good of a fucking person. Yeah. Uh, he's he's dying of righteousness and goodness and mercy and a heart full of love. Which shall we all go that way? Sure, and God sure. damn it, God damn it! When he sings that, uh, forbid me to die. Yeah, and I will Fant- obey, or at least I'll try. Yeah. You know, call, calling nope. to calling to Fontaine Not- the entire time. She, yeah, and, yeah. and she heard that she shows up, uh-huh. and like is like it's it's tugging. Uh, God damn it, I can't do it. It's tugging. <laughs> it's a tug of war between his daughter who wants him to stay, and him wanting to rest. Yeah, no, it's, it's a beautiful, powerful scene. Um, and it, it, you know, kind of blends into what I also think is a beautiful, powerful message about. Uh, you know the the fallen people fighting for liberty and justice at the end when he he does go to heaven they they're there to greet him. Um, it's the fucking Titanic scene where Jack and uh, 
Rose get reunited and everybody's there. Yeah. It's like that only. Yeah. The bar- now the barricades are big and they contain everyone who's been lost and along the way. And-, and this is why I think like, you know, why their deaths might have been worth it, right? Like why if Marius had stayed and died, it might have been worth it. And why all the people who died in uh, that essentially protest um, were were worth the deaths because those people and those stories will inspire future generations to to fight as well and i think that's important right because otherwise the the javers of the world will just steamroll everyone hmm. and you know if if you look at you know how it turned out yeah eventually this stuff did settle down and france did find a democracy and um you know have, having hindsight worse. of 2020 we sure. know that this stuff did eventually work out to a reasonable degree right yeah, every once in a while, the rich have to be reminded that they have to take care of the poor or else yeah. the poor will attempt to eat them. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's like I said, it's great. I It's very cathartic. Like, um, you yeah. know, if you feel like you're emotionally constipated, watch, being able to watch a movie like this is a uh, nice emotional <laughs> X-lax, I guess. Sure. It really, really gets the system, gets, gets irregular again. Yeah, um, it's one of those few movies then, yeah. that choked me up, you know. Yeah, it does. Like I said, I, I, I've I seen this in public and tried to keep it together really hard. And uh, the two times I've watched in the privacy of my own home, it's just like, yeah, I'm just fucking I'm a fu- I watched it alone on the couch last night at like, you know, Jack was in bed. It was like, I think I was finishing up around midnight and I just like, no, nah, I'm not I don't get I don't have to keep it together for nobody. <laughs> not even this this shitty cat's not going to care. So, yeah, it was it was pretty bad. Went through a lot of Kleenexes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> went to bed stuffy, stuffy headed, uh, and that—that's it. Like, do we have do we just more stuff to talk about? I don't think so. I think that's I, everything. I know that there's there's like a lot of well regarded performances amongst the students, like uh, in Joel Ross or whatever his name is. There's a lot, but like again, I just uh, and I, I care about the plot, but like the individual characters are just not enough there for me to like really hang on. Whereas goddamn Jean Valjean, whew, what a character, what a yeah. character. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, thanks for commissioning this podcast, Michelle. I hope you were happy with it and it met your, your uh, expectations. And uh, you know, if you would like to commission your own podcast, uh, go to support.baldmove.com and click on the commission a podcast link and we will get it taken care of. We got a whole bunch of really cool stuff coming up um, uh, in commission. I know we got Gattaca. We got the other Lord of the Rings films because those those mm-hmm. were instant, instant uh, commissioned after the the last successful one. And I, I feel like there's maybe one more in there. But uh, yeah, ha- hang around prestige. There'll be more of this stuff coming down the pike pretty soon. And uh, until the next time, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See you guys.